0: So I would say my aha moment probably came, I mean, it's, it's been gradual, but talking with another comic and discussing my creative process as a stand-up and realizing that this thing that I thought was a disadvantage Actually helps me in in my chosen field. It, it and it evidently has helped many creative people in their chosen fields. There are people who are similar to me. You look at any Lothario in any art, and you find that they were very strange in you know, other aspects of their life. It's a sign that maybe they were like me.
1: From the understood podcast network, this is ADHD Aha, a podcast where people share the moment when it finally clicked that they. Or someone they know has ADHD. My name is Laura Key. I'm the editorial director here at Understood. And as someone who's had my own ADHD aha moment, I'll be your host. I'm so excited to be here today with Nabil Abdul Rashid, an English comedian who spent half of his life in Nigeria. That's where he was born and raised. Nabil, welcome to the show.
0: Hey. Actually, I was born in London, but we we moved back to Nigeria when I was younger. It's uh, the classic, when when you're a bit naughty, they send you back home. No, my parents moved back when I was still quite little. So I spent half my life in Nigeria. I've now spent so far the second half of my life here in the UK, which means I'm equally unwelcome in both countries. It's, uh, It's amazing.
1: And I got it wrong right off the bat. It's a great way to start. This is how we do it around here.
0: That's the best way, you know, put your worst foot forward. Put my worst foot forward.
1: (laughs) Okay, so born in London, but spent a Mm -hmm. large chunk of your life in Nigeria. And Nigeria is where you were diagnosed with ADHD. Is that right?
0: Yeah, amazingly, I got diagnosed with ADHD at the age of six in northern Nigeria, Kaduna, where I went to school, which, you know, I I have a lot of frustration now when it comes to the topic of being a comedian with ADHD because I got diagnosed with ADHD long before it became cool. It it was a very different climate to have any kind of neurodiversity. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't a pleasant experience, man, at first anyway, being told that your brain did stuff wrong.
1: Were you told at that time what you'd been diagnosed with?
0: Yeah, I mean, Nigeria doesn't really do political correctness, so um, <laughs> they literally said to my mom, want to do a test to see if he's stupid or there's another problem, because I it took me ages to finish my work in class, and it's weird, right, because like diagnosing a kid at six is so progressive in a sense, because yeah. here in the UK, it takes forever to get diagnosis. But then at the same time, the way it was done and the abrupt nature of it. So I would take ages to finish stuff in certain classes at school. I I really struggled because my attention span was like non-existent, especially with more mundane tasks. But then teachers said when they spoke to me, I was a very clever kid. I was a sharp kid, but only with stuff that I, I enjoyed. When it came to the more less interesting stuff to me, I it was like hell for me to focus and I was hyperactive as a kid I mean I wish I could be hyperactive now and lose a few pounds but I was hyperactive (laughs) as a kid and I was constantly doing like crazy stuff to amuse myself I would disrupt class I would do things because my imagination and my impulses were like it's like I had a nuclear reactor in my brain so they gave me a bunch of tests oral tests IQ tests motor skills tests and pattern recognition stuff. And I thought, oh, this is really fun. I didn't even know it was a test. And they said, um, well, as far as his IQ goes, he's way smarter than the other kids, but his attention span is very short. And they're like, yeah, this is textbook ADHD. And so, yeah, the school I was in, and at the time was a very good school, they did like for certain tests, I would take the test orally one-to-one with the teacher. And then I would be given extra time for certain exams as well. And then we had lots of after-school activities. So one thing, my mom thought that, you know what, to get him reading, it doesn't matter what he reads yeah. as long as he's reading, right? He's still practicing those skills. So like the first novel I ever read was when I was about eight, was Stephen King's It.
1: <laughs> Can't believe you read that when you were eight or nine...
0: Yeah, that sounds and, and terrifying. Wonder why I'm so screwed up now. Well, <laughs> yeah. So my first, the first ever book I read was Stephen King's It, and I enjoyed it because Stephen King writes the way I think.
1: And how's that? Stephen King
0: will talk about a guy walking into a room, and they're wearing a ring, and then the ring reminds the person narrating to you of something that happened to them when they were five on a particular day at a particular time. And, you know, those times in the summer when the, you know, you can smell popcorn, but not that kind of popcorn, this kind of popcorn, the salted caramel popcorn. And then from the popcorn, we've gone into a discussion about how caramel is and then come all the way back to the guy walking into the room. So it's the same thing with me where if somebody walks in, I notice them. I notice a small thing about them, which triggers a memory that I have in my head about a day, a time, and then that triggers a song that I know from that period and how that song made me feel, which triggers a memory about something my dad said one time when he was driving his car, when we had that song, which triggers a thought about the kind of car that he was driving and what year did it come out in, which triggers a, And then I end up coming back to where I am. And this loop of jumping from topic to topic and whatnot is something that I have constantly, like... um. I was watching a documentary last night about Michael Jordan, uh, the, the Bulls, uh, the last dance. Oh, it's so good. Basketball. Yeah, I loved it. And basketball was my favorite sport growing up. I was a same, point fan. Same, same Nabil. We're, we're literally the same person. Oh my God,
1: it's like we're the same person. <laughs> <I> no, <know>.
0: BFFs <laughs> forever. Um, but like, uh, <laughs> I was watching the, the last dance and I ended up remembering random stuff to do with things linked to the Bulls. And uh, it, it's weird. It's weird.
1: You said something about your, was it your mom or your dad said, we need to find out if you're stupid or if- The teacher
0: said it. The teacher. The teacher said it to my mom.
1: You found out through the evaluation process. It sounds like just how smart you are, but even that we've got to figure this
0: out if he's stupid. Did you carry that with you? Yeah, of course. I mean, it was just something that was always at the back of my mind that I wasn't normal. And I'm not going to lie, it upset me sometimes because I wanted to be able to do certain things. For example, like I've worked retail before and like (laughs) folding jeans, I'll fold the first four pairs brilliantly. And then the next three will be a bit (laughs) (laughs) avant-garde. And then after that, it's, yeah, I'm off with the fairies. Like where I thrive is anywhere that allows me to just create and and produce ideas and discuss things and Many former colonial territories, many places colonized by the British, there's a hyper-focus and over-pedestalizing of certain jobs like medicine, law, this and the other. There is almost no, or at least when I was growing up, there was almost no respect for the possibility of a career in the arts or in creativity. If you told your parents you wanted to be an art student, you might as well just tell them you're a drug addict. That's the way. <laughs> okay. well,
1: was there a difference in how... Your diagnosis was perceived when you were in Nigeria versus when you were in London. When did you go back to London? You were in London, then you were in Nigeria, you got diagnosed, and then at some point you went back to London.
0: I moved over here (laughs) in my teens. I was like 17, 18. And at that time, people care a lot more now than they did the first half of my life about these things unfortunately.
1: There are even podcasts about it, Nabil.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Before podcasts were invented, there wasn't even like a Google for me to look up. We didn't have these resources. I just had what I've been told. Like I read, my mom got like a printout that showed me like, and books that talked about people who were suspected of having ADHD through the ages. So Galileo, Mm -hmm. Da Vinci, Einstein, The Rock,
1: did you just put The Rock in the company of Einstein? Yeah, just
0: uh, Einstein. You that. went
1: Galileo, like Da Vinci, Einstein, The Rock. No, sh- I yeah. love The Rock. I'm just, I was yeah. just. You missed a few centuries yeah. there,
0: but the- yeah. My earliest memory was stand-up comedy, right? My earliest memory as as an adult was watching stand-up as a four-year-old. Who are you watching? Do you remember? It was we had a VHS. I don't know if you're old enough to remember that. Oh VHS yeah, I had
1: Beta console. too, Nabil.
0: Oh, beta. Oh, fancy.
1: I thought beta was worse. I
0: don't know. I don't know, man. Like I, I never ever experienced beta. We we just have VHS. Isn't it just a thing where like in America you guys had beta and we
1: No, no, there was a war in America. But beta lost hard. Okay. But we've done <laughs> we've really gone off topic. But this is, i I love it though. It's fun. It's fun going on the journey of your brain and whatnot. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So, yeah, so it it was Richard Pryor. Oh, great. And we we had Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy, and we had Rowan Atkinson doing a one-man show in a theater. And I loved what these guys were doing. I wanted to be, you know, I love what they're doing, but it's like when I first started watching this stuff, I didn't even know what stand-up was, one. Two, I didn't know that I could want to be that when I grew up because in Nigeria, your options then were doctor, lawyer, Soldier, engineer, corrupt politician. The first four being an entry point to becoming a corrupt politician. (laughs) Or you could start your own cult, which which I think is still an option for me now. Would you like to join?
1: (laughs) I mean, we're so much alike. We've already established. So, okay. And you're watching stand-up comedy in Nigeria.
0: And I feel like all this stuff kind of prepared me for the career I'm in now because I was always like... When I was really young, I like onset of my ADHD as a kid when it's still cute was that I was a really funny kid. Mm-hmm. And we had school plays and stuff like that. And I was I would excel at anything to do with performing, anything to do with talking, expressing myself, writing. I was I would do very well at that. And it was fun. But then I moved to secondary school or, or high school. Secondary school was different because the secondary school I went to wasn't as accommodating for people with special needs. Like the teachers there were not as tact in dealing with the issues that I had. And then also there was a the problem where like in our culture, if you've got a big brother and someone picks on you, you go to your big brother. And like if you've got a sister and someone has a problem with her, they, you can't fight a girl. So they come and fight you, right? And I've got an older sister. She's three years older than me, and she's not a very nice person. (laughs) So, like, a whole bunch of people had three years' worth of hatred for her that they decided they were going to try and take out on me. And the other side of ADHD is is having a temper, right? Mm. And so you add ADHD to the fact that I'm now entering my early teens, so I'm already in a rebellious phase. And I'm already full of testosterone. And then you throw in the fact that teachers are treating me differently, not being very nice about the issues I've got. And then the teachers didn't like my sister either. So like they would look for excuses to single me out. And it's easy to do that to a kid who's got special needs, Mm -hmm. which is what they were called at the time. right? And then on top of that, I've got people trying to pick fights with me because of who my sister is so my ADHD side the the other symptoms of it for the first couple years in school were expressed in the 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 less desirable you know so I still had the personality that would make someone like a class clown or whatever but now I'm a disruptive student right now I'm a bad boy not a funny boy you know so I was fighting every day not because I wanted to but because a lot of the time I had to I didn't realize this. is only now that looking back, I understand that the thing with ADHD is you have a shorter fuse. You're less patient because you overstimulated. Right. Yeah. So yeah, secondary school, while it was kind of fun, because like I got up to all kinds of mischief and I got into a lot of trouble, which was my way of entertaining myself. And like I was still on the debate team. I was still like I still won prizes for essays and whatnot. I but I was constantly in detention while doing that.
1: Wow. What a juxtaposition.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like I was getting good grades, but I was dodging class and punches. Like uh-huh. I was, you know, and the thing is, my mom, she was smart from what she'd seen. The best thing would, would be tell me to channel my energy, extra energy into sport. Okay. Video games helped a lot. And my mom built like a, had a basketball hoop put in our house. Mm-hmm. And when I come home, I just do a lot of basketball drills. Yeah. And after like a year or two in my um high school, because it's six years, I got really good at basketball because bigger kids in my neighborhood would come and play with me. And I got used to playing with bigger, stronger kids. And I got really good one summer. Like it was, there was one summer where it just clicked and I developed into being a really good point guard. And I just had a good imagination on the court.
1: Oh, that's, so, I've never heard that a good imagination on the court.
0: Yeah, good vision. I mean, you could imagine how being creative would help a point guard. Yeah, especially totally. growing up, I was an Allen Iverson fan, so yeah. I ended up becoming really popular in school because I was a good basketball player. Like, our, our and this school. is
1: in London, or you, we're still in Nigeria. This
0: is still in Nigeria because, like, we're a basketball playing nation, Um there's a lot of Nigerians in the NBA. Olajuwon, well, for example, was mm-hmm. still yeah. highly ranked, and then also our principal was American, so. Uh-huh stuff like basketball. I got into martial arts. Like I got into like boxing, karate, things like that. Sports really
1: helped you, helped you cope. Yeah.
0: Sports and creativity. And then like, I was on the dance team. Like we used to do like street dance and stuff and compete. Yeah. So like I was doing so much stuff. Like I sit down now and I think, wow, Uh I did a lot of stuff as a kid, like doing so much stuff and it really helped. But when I moved over to the UK I go into a lot of trouble over here as well. I kind of fell into the wrong crowd because again, it, it's so easy to switch off, especially in rigid structured mm-hmm. places like college, yeah. university that you come in, especially when you're already othered because like you're the foreign kid, you're the immigrant unit. You know? And then and on top of that, you've got, you know, the condition. It just, it's so easy, so mm-hmm. easy to find yourself mal lingering as my mom calls it. So, yeah. Yeah, I've been on some wild and wacky adventures. Secondary school in Nigeria, I was practically pressured by my parents to become a science student because my dad's a doctor, right? And it's like the head of the science department hid my results. And even though I passed with flying colors, she hid my results because she said she didn't want a crazy, crazy kid like me in mm-hmm. a lab.
1: She said crazy?
0: Yeah, she said I'm crazy. I'm sorry. I mean, it was more down to the way I behaved and not the fact that I had ADHD. But then where does the ADHD stop and my personality start?
1: Yeah, it's a pretty blurry line there.
0: If you want to be a doctor when you grow up and you go to school in Nigeria, you have to be a science student. So your subjects, your core subjects become biology, physics, chemistry, math. And then, well, not math is a core subject for everybody, but you do further math as a science student. And then the art students get to do art accounting, economics, government, social studies, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in Nigeria, they always, people always looked at art students as, oh, they're not serious. Real students go and do the sciences. Right. right? Who cares
1: about social studies? None
0: of that hippie art stuff. Yeah. Like, what are you learning in social studies? So that, <laughs> that's the mentality. So it's, I got pressured into becoming a science student. The teachers didn't want me in the labs because, I mean, I pulled some legendary pranks while I was at that school.
1: I need an example. Give me one prank. <laughs> can't let you say that without telling me one of the pranks you pulled.
0: Okay, so my friend, who <laughs> I used to get all this mischief with, was failing his exams basically because of me, right? So I hashed a plan, and we got a bunch of fireworks, and we put them in a massive coffee tin this is 13, 14 years old, and we got together the equivalent of about $300 worth of fireworks and other kinds of fun explosives. And we emptied our coffee tin. No, we didn't drink the coffee because that would be dangerous. And we put all these fireworks in the coffee tin. I got two kids to pretend to fight at the entrance to the staff room to distract the teachers, right? Because in Nigeria, when two kids start fighting, the teachers don't break up. They just say, okay, keep on going. When you're tired, you'll stop you know so these two kids were fighting at the front the front of the staff room and i roll in the fireworks i light one firework and put it in the box and roll it in through the window and it like it goes off and all the teachers like wait
1: in the window of the classroom
0: no the of the staff room yeah cuz okay. like basically at the time exams were were marked uh, manually and then entered into a computer system on a wednesday so, this was, I did this on a Wednesday around the time I knew that the exams were being uh, marked. So, as the explosions go off and all the teachers run, they leave the exam papers.
1: <laughs> oh. So my I sneak gosh. in through the window. Oh, my gosh. And and I you... steal the
0: exam papers. And... <laughs> wow, what a heist. And the uh, proper <laughs> oceans. 12, we I destroyed the exam papers, and my friend, who I did it for, went on. Like, If he didn't go on and do well in life afterwards, then it would have been a wasted effort. But, you know, he resized exams, he passed, and he's, he's, he's great.
1: So you were diagnosed when you were a child. Mm-hmm. But you said that your aha moment came when... You started doing stand-up, is that right? Mm.
0: Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah, there have been several aha moments through my career, but comedy definitely, over time, I've realized that my whole life has prepared me for the career that I've chosen, my career path. And like a lot of great comics, I'm not saying I'm a great comic.
1: I'll say it, he's a great comic. stop
0: it. But a lot of comics (laughs) I do consider to be great. Are people who are neurodivergent and have had have been diagnosed with ADHD or have clear signs of it. So, like my ability to recount certain memories from random things, the way my mind works, all these things. A lot of comics are like, I can't do what you do. Like it it makes more sense when someone watches what I do. But a lot of comics are like, Wow, how do you do that? I can't switch subjects the way you do. I'm like, Dude, that's just the way my brain works. Like literally, Mm -hmm. that's and a lot of comics struggle to write material. They, they have to sit down and, 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 and you know, they, they have writing partners and you see them in a Starbucks somewhere looking pretentious typing. And, but like, for me, like I could literally, I, I never sit down and say, I'm going to dedicate a whole day to trying to write material. It just like something happens. And then I, I think about it and it just, I'm like, Oh, I've got an idea. A lot of my best ideas have come to me while I was sitting on the toilet and I started yelling out <laughs> to my wife
1: So you don't – do you write down any of your material or you just remember it all?
0: Yeah, I just remember it all.
1: That's amazing. So you go on stage. uh, How many minutes of material do you do on an average – in an average stand-up? A tight 10?
0: Anywhere from 30 to an hour and a half. Jeez.
1: So wait, you're just riffing or it's scripted in your mind? I'm
0: not just riffing. I have bits that I remember that work, so I do them again. That's amazing. But like once I know a bit, I don't – need to write it and
1: I have chills I can't believe that you I, I mean Nabil, I'm sitting here I'm I'm interviewing I interview people about this topic all the time and it's kind of a similar set of questions that I'm always asking and I still write down all the things that I you know that's amazing
0: yeah I mean you, you're clearly a responsible member of society but you see <laughs> people like me <laughs> I wrote my dissertation for university in a day and got a first I don't recommend it to anyone. Yeah. I don't recommend it to anyone. And I took a lot of caffeine that day. I think Nescafe and other need to take credit as well. But like, you know. (laughs) I'd
1: like to dedicate this
0: dissertation to Nescafe. (laughs) Wow. No,
1: but I mean, if it works for you, you put that pressure on yourself. And I imagine it's similar. You get out on stage, you've got the spotlight on you. I mean, I wish
0: I could be like most people, regular people, and do things in an organized manner and whatnot. But. My brain thrives in chaos and like, I almost go into a flow state. Like Mm. when I played basketball, it was the same thing. I was constantly in a flow state. The best way to describe ADHD from a creative standpoint, even a day-to-day standpoint, I like the term inertia. Inertia is the inability to start or stop motion. So in the morning, it's hard for me to get out of bed. The anxiety hits me. I don't want to leave my room. I don't want to go out into the world. But when I do, when I commit myself to doing anything, it can't stop. The the neurons in my brain just fire. And it's strange that I don't know, like I remember talking to someone recently and they said to me that they think people like us, we probably would have been like the monk or philosopher or shaman in an ancient society. right? It, it would make sense because you look at the amount of material that some of these guys put out they didn't have to, for example, work a nine to five job. They didn't have to get up and be a part of the rat race. And so I think somehow people who have these conditions were meant to focus on one thing or a couple of things and be really good at those things. They might not necessarily be the most sociable people. They might not necessarily be the best hosts at a dinner party. They might not be very good at folding jeans at Banana Republic or whatever. but when they get put to write, or when they get put to do their poetry, when they get put to do a certain thing, they're brilliant at that thing. Mm. And I think comedy is my thing, and all things related to it. I think that's like at least in this lifetime, that's the closest to what I'm meant to do that I'm doing.
1: That makes so much sense. the The word inertia is just kind of bouncing around my brain too.
0: I think. Thank you, a- Nigerian schooling system. <laughs>
1: So your aha moment, in a way, it wasn't a realization that you had ADHD because you already knew it. It was more that you have this ability to harness your symptoms.
0: It's a tough thing to talk about now. When you spend your whole life being told that you are not capable of doing things properly the way regular people do, you start to believe that you'll never be good at anything. Because there's many times, like, for as many successes I'd have in certain things, there were failures in others. Because I, I just couldn't focus and I couldn't get my head around it. And, like, I spent a large portion of my life, I've got at least 16 doctors or something on one side of the family. Wow. It just isn't for me. And and you start to feel like when the one thing you've been told you're supposed to grow up to become, you can't do that, mm-hmm. then you're not good at anything. When I got to my uh, late teens and stuff here in the UK, like my impulsiveness got me in trouble with the law. So that didn't help me. <laughs> That didn't help either.
1: (laughs) I'm not even going to ask you about that one, Nabil.
0: I know better. I know better now. (laughs) So, you know, it it was through my misadventures and brief stint as a guest of the Queen. Oh, sorry. You might not understand what I mean when I say guest of the Queen. So basically prisons (laughs) in the UK, like say there's a prison called Springfield. It's HMP, Her Majesty's Prison, Springfield. So if you spend like a night in jail or whatever, or, <laughs> then you're a guest of the Queen. <laughs> oh, my God. I did so not know that. I thought <laughs> It was whilst I was a guest of Her Majesty that I discovered a talent in stand-up.
1: You started doing stand-up in prison?
0: I guess you could say that, yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah, well... Here's what it was. Like, I remember this one day, like, we were going to get lunch, and I was telling a story to the guy behind me, right? Because you have to queue up with your trays. It's a lot like Starbucks. You've got those little trays you have to so Anyway, so <laughs> you should see the look on your face. So anyway, I was telling this guy a story, and the guy in front of me starts, like, he turns around, and he's, see you, yeah? You're funny. You should do comedy. Because when I was outside, I used to book comedy shows. And you're funnier than most of the guys I paid to do stand-up. And I was like, wow. Do you reckon that like maybe when we come out, you could hook me up? He said, oh, no, no, no. I'm a drug dealer now. But back then, when I used to do comedy.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. All right. This is just so, you're
0: blowing my mind.
1: Okay. Oh, it, it <laughs> gets even
0: crazier. Because on the inside, right, people, people were always fighting. Uh, and there was a lot of violence. And one guy who used to work there, he was an arty-farty guy. He brought three DVDs into our wing. Delirious, so that's Eddie Murphy. Killing Them softly, Dave Chappelle, bigger and blacker, Chris Rock. And he he just went from cell to cell and he would loan it to the inmates. And over a period of about I think a month, the violence died down. Wow.
1: The power of comedy.
0: And more and more people kept on telling me that I should do stand up. And I, I made it I made it my responsibility to just to extend her majesty's library while I was in there I would order books. And I read Richard Pryor's autobiography and it inspired me. I was like, okay, after that, I started doing a lot of creative writing stuff. And then one day we even did like a mini performance and I did stand up and it was cool. And like the um, officers would come and open my cell door 15 minutes early, just so that I could roast them and how they dressed and stuff. And, and (laughs) so once my, uh, I outstayed my welcome with the Queen as a guest. I uh, was back on the outside. I was like, okay, I'm not going to do psychology anymore because I, I was actually a psychology student at the time that everything happened. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go and study drama and applied theater. I want to be a performer. I want to study the performing arts and, and, and do something that I enjoy.
1: Because mm-hmm.
0: I know that if I do something I enjoy, I'm going to thrive. Yeah, And I did. I did. It, it was brilliant. It was one of the best choices I ever made doing something that I wanted to do and that I was passionate about.
1: Yeah. I feel like I could, I could talk with you for hours. I could, you're so interesting, everything you say and it's every, it's just so many unexpected moments. And I feel like this whole conversation has been kind of a little ride around your brain and it it's like <laughs> a circus kind of, it's amazing. Anything that you're working on right now that you want to plug? That people can check out?
0: I'll be doing a series of videos which are going to be rants, political rants, with Double Down News. So they'll be out in a couple of weeks. So those okay. will be on YouTube. And um, generally, yeah, I just post loads of stuff on uh, on Instagram and so Great. on. But yeah,
1: Everybody check out Nabil. He's so funny. And if this, this interview wasn't evidence of his very creative and funny brain. I've just, I'm starting my day with some good endorphins here. Really, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Nabil.
0: Pleasure was mine.
1: you've been listening to ADHD aha from the understood podcast network. If you want to share your own aha moment, email us at ADHD aha at understood.org. I'd love to hear from you. If you want to learn more about the topics we covered today, check out the show notes for this episode. We include more resources as well as links to anything we mentioned in the episode. Understood is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people who learn and think differently discover their potential and thrive. We have no affiliation with pharmaceutical companies. Learn more at understood.org/mission. ADHD Aha is produced by Jessamine Molly. Say hi Jessamine.
0: Hi everyone.
1: Brianna Berry is our production director. Our theme music was written by Justin D Wright, who also mixes the show for the Understood Podcast Network. Zach Koshira is our creative director. Seth Melnick is our executive producer. And I'm your host, Laura Key. Thanks so much for listening.